All right, good morning, church. Let's uh, take our Bibles and go to the book of Acts, chapter number one. It is great to see you. How about that beautiful weather? Isn't it great? And man, it's getting warm and it's beautiful and sunny. And what a great time of year. Now, don't start complaining. Because it's getting too hot for you, okay? Because remember, just a few weeks ago, you were complaining about how cold it is. So uh, don't start complaining about how hot it is. I, like, I love it out there. That's why I'm in Florida, people, okay? There's a reason I don't live in Minnesota, okay? I don't want to live in Minnesota. I, I, I have, I, in fact, I think if God called me to Minnesota, I'm going to be like Jonah, and I'm going to run for the Bahamas, okay? That's probably what I'm going to do. So enjoy the weather, enjoy uh, this time of year with the longer days and some extra time with your family and fun. Uh, looking forward to this summer and all the exciting things uh, that are coming here at church. Uh, not the least of which is coming up one week from today, our auction for our youth group. And, and we have sold numbers of tickets already. We still have uh, several to go. And so the youth group will be available uh, after the service. You'll see plenty of signs out in the hallway and some of them I think back here directing you to uh, purchasing your spaghetti ticket. Be watching Facebook and Instagram also this week as we'll be sharing more stories of some of the auction items uh, that are available and I'll mention a few of those at the end of the service as well. A lot of great things have been actually donated. I was just hearing before the, uh, before the service there have actually been doctors in town like chiropractors uh, 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 donate uh, you know free massages that's, look, I'm getting in line for that stuff, okay? So good luck beating me out on one of those uh, auction items. It's going to be a great time. And really, uh, as I mentioned before, it really goes for our youth group. We, we only, we do one or two big trips a year. And, uh, you know, really when you think about families that have teenagers, when you go into the summer, the fact of the matter is uh, sending uh, two or three kids to a summer camp that costs, you know, three or four hundred dollars is a real big deal. And so uh, we're trying to help our families, help our kids go to what could be uh, the most important week of their, of, their, of their whole year, going to a youth camp. We're going to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, to a big youth conference with thousands of, of kids and, and, and single adults. It's going to be a great, great trip. And I, I appreciate you being involved. If you can't be involved, that's okay. Just, just give some money because I'll always take your money. Amen. All right. So, but enough of that. Let's, let's look at Acts chapter 1. Man, you know, this is, this is tough for me. This is tough for me to say that I'm preaching today the last message uh, of the series that I've been doing for three years. And I, I tell you what I want to do. What I want to do is just back up and start the whole thing all over again because I've, I've enjoyed it that much. And more importantly than that, uh, I know many of you have come to the church since that beginning. So you missed a lot of it. That's kind of the way that it goes. But for three years... At our church, we have studied the life of Jesus Christ in a, in a chronological order. Uh, from eternity past uh, to his birth, uh, all the way through his life and ministry, parables, miracles. Uh, all the way, of course, in these last months, been looking at his, his last week, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, of course. And then today, uh, we're, we're going to look at a subject that often gets overlooked in the life of Christ. And by the way, I will say this, although I'm finishing the series, the work, person and work of Jesus Christ never end. So it's not like this is the end. This is just, this is, this is the end of what he did physically on earth. He is still very much alive and at work today, and we'll see some of that. But this is kind of the last, this is the last thing that happens. The last event, if you will, that happens while he's on this earth. And so... 
Let me read Acts chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse number 6, where the Bible says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said, who also said, excuse me, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. This is God's word. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the king is well. The king is well. An intriguing title that came to me this week as I was reading some history. And at the end of the Revolutionary War, there was uh, there are two significant things that happened in the lives of those people that led the said um, uh, two enemy forces. Of course, the United States of America uh, and England. Most of you probably know this, but both uh, leaders of both uh, uh, countries and kingdoms were named George. There was King George III of Great Britain, and then there was, of course, George Washington, who became the first president of the United States shortly after the Revolutionary War. During that time between the war and the inauguration, uh, pre- the, the, the King of Britain, King George III, became literally insane. For months and months and months and months, he was diagnosed with some sort of disorder that was marked by hallucinations and physical convulsions and all sorts of bizarre uh, responses that you could almost imagine would be natural after what had just taken place. Uh, Interestingly enough, on May the 2nd, 1789, the same newspaper, the Philadelphia Federal Gazette, carried two stories in the same headlines. The first story was about the inauguration of George Washington as the first president of the United States, which happened on May the 1st, 1789. But on the same front page of that same newspaper, there was a story about the recovery of King George III. Such an extraordinary recovery that it was notated in newspapers and headlines all over the world. In fact, it is said that King George did very well from that point forward. But then in the last decade of his life, the same whatever it was came back. And he was basically debilitated till his death for the last decade of his life. I saw as I read this article, there was uh, during that season in 1789, after the announcement of the king and the king's uh, survival of this disease or whatever it was, that there was such a celebration that there were actually commemorative plates and dinnerware that were made in England that were distributed out in the kingdom that are still on display at certain museums in the Great Britain, which said on the plate, the king is well. 
It was such a big deal to them to know that their king was okay, that he was recovered, that all was well, essentially, in the kingdom. Now, obviously, my analogy is going to break down because King George III ultimately got sick again, and ultimately he would die. But this morning, I want to borrow that phrase from the Brits uh, that said that day and commemorated it all across the kingdom that the king is well. And I would announce to you this morning that King Jesus is, in fact, well. No, No story in the Bible demonstrates his power, his authority, his glory, and his rulership over all things than the ascension that took place. I want you to walk with me to the foothills of the Mount Olive once again, as we have done a few other times, but this time... 40 days after the resurrection, 10 days before Pentecost, we are going to watch the Son of God lifted up off of this earth, taken into the clouds with the promise that he will return again. The ascension of Christ was an, was an event in which Jesus Christ returned to heaven as the last Adam to take his place for all of eternity at the right hand of the throne of God in co-regency with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was the culmination of his earthly ministry and the initiation of his heavenly ministry. And here's the beautiful thing for us today. In God's incarnation, when he became a man to live this life we've been studying for these three years, when he came, God, the Son of God, excuse me, descended to us identified with us as a human, and then died for us in our place. In the ascension, he ascends back to God, and those who have identified with him have the same assurance that just like Jesus ascended to the Father to be in heaven for the rest of all eternity, those who have accepted Christ get to look forward to that as well. Did you know that the the ascension of Christ, although it is often overlooked, was a part of the original hymn that was written by the apostles and circulated in the church as early as 60 AD. And it's recorded for us in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, where Paul says these words, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, watch this, and taken up into glory. The famed preacher of Jacksonville of yesteryear, Dr. Jerry Vine, said these words, The ascension of Jesus is an untapped mine of treasure. It is an uncharted ocean of blessing. And it is an unexplored galaxy of glory. Here today, we're going to see Jesus for who he actually is. And let me make uh, no, uh, I want to mince no words this morning with clarity about who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He's just not a religious philosopher. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the second member of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Spirit, and co-equal in deity and power and glory and in all authority. And the ascension of Jesus Christ demonstrates that so very clearly to us. I want you to see three three lessons from which we can learn about Jesus from the ascension this morning. Number one, I want you to see that the ascension was the final validation of the resurrection. The ascension was the final validation of the resurrection. Uh, Go back to verse number one for a few minutes of this text. Look what it says here. 
The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, uh, what is being talked about here? This is, of course, whoever this is, which we know to be Luke, uh, the, the, the physician, is the same guy that wrote Luke, the gospel account. And if you were to go back to Luke chapter number 1, verses 1 through 4, you would see Luke addressing this man, Theophilus, who was more than likely a dignitary, some sort of uh, well-placed uh, politician. I think in Luke's gospel, he calls him old, most excellent Theophilus. The word Theophilus actually means lover of God. It is, a, it is a, a, a likely a nickname that was given to a high-ranking government official, likely in the Roman government, who evidently had come to Christ and was asking the apostles for official documentation or accounts of what happened when Jesus was on this earth. So what did, what did Luke do? In Luke 1, 1 through 4, Luke says, I examined many multiple uh, eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ. And by the Holy Spirit of God, I put these accounts together, set them in order to issue out to you an official a document, a testament of the life and ministry of Christ. That's volume 1. Volume 2 is the book of Acts. And in volume 2, he starts a letter by saying, Theophilus, remember, I told you back in my other book uh, what Jesus, watch this, began to do and to teach, meaning he's not finished yet, right? There's more that is going to happen. And by the way, what is happening today through Jesus is what is happening through the church. And the original account was what happened through the apostles in this book called the Acts of the Apostles. But notice this in verse number 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, the ascension, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles, that's the Great Commission, and it says here, to whom also he presented himself alive after his sufferings, watch this now, by many infallible proofs, many unquestioned, provable truths that demonstrate to everybody that Jesus Christ is alive. And so Luke starts this book by saying Jesus showed up and Jesus proved himself alive. This is an undisputable fact. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And now he's saying to start off this story, I'm going to show you how that that resurrected Savior went on to be received up to the Father just like he said he was going to be. Now folks, I want to tell you, and I'm glad to tell you this morning, that we have an airtight case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in the Bible. In fact, Lee Strobel, former atheist and editor of the Chicago Tribune, came to faith in Christ after his wife was converted to Christianity. And if you've seen the movie Case for Christ, this is documented in the movie. In the movie, of course, his response is hostile. He can't believe that his wife became a Christian. And so because he was a journalist, he decided to begin to investigate Christianity, the claims of Christianity by applying the principles of journalism to the Christian faith. And of course you know the rest of the story. As he applied principles of journalism to the Christian faith, he himself became a believer and today leads an extensive apologetic ministry which really began with the book, The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel in a recent video said, I got four reasons why I know the resurrection is absolutely true. Number one, number one, Jesus was in fact dead. Atheist New Testament scholar Jared Ludman said these words. Historically, it is indisputable that Jesus Christ was dead. Folks, Jesus Christ actually died. 
One reason we know Jesus Christ rose from the dead is because, well, in fact, he actually died. The second reason we know Jesus Christ is alive from the dead is because of the early accounts of the resurrection. Now, folks, listen. These men, these men, these apostles, in fact, this story right here is taking place in Jerusalem. The, the, the Pentecost story takes place in Jerusalem. Peter writes his books from Jerusalem. And these men are writing these books from Jerusalem. Watch this. The very place where Jesus Christ died and the very place where Jesus Christ was buried. Now, let me tell you something, friend. If you had a beef with this, if you could disprove that Jesus Christ was alive, you'd say, hey, let's just take a little field trip here. Let's just go down to the garden tomb where we all know Jesus was buried, and let's just go roll that stone away and show you the decomposing body of Jesus Christ. But these men are preaching the gospel of the resurrection in the city of Jerusalem, the, the very place that Jesus died, the very place where Jesus rose from the dead, and nobody could stop them from testifying and nobody could prove that what they said was wrong. This was, in fact, a news flash from ancient history, well-publicized and well-defended. Number three, the third reason we know Jesus Christ is alive from the dead is the empty tomb. Folks, even the opponents of Jesus in the first century admitted that the tomb was empty. Now, they tried to come up with all kinds of reasons why it was empty. They stole the body of Jesus. They must have paid off the soldiers, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, the tomb was in fact empty. Jesus Christ is alive. There were eyewitness accounts according to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, according to one scholar, there are no fewer than nine ancient sources of eyewitness accounts, both from inside and outside of the Bible, that tell us all that Jesus Christ did, in fact, raise from the dead. Folks, listen, you don't have to, look, you don't have to walk out of this room today hanging your head down like you're some kind of, you know, archaic Christian believer that only believes wild and bizarre fairy tales. I'm here to tell you today that we have a validated fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then if you're still not convinced, I've got another witness that I'd like to share with you, and that will be my own witness, okay? I'm talking about the witness that I have been born again by the power of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and he has transformed my life. And friend, I don't care if you had a gun to my head, there's no way you could convince me to try to tell you that I don't believe Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. Old preacher one time in a college town was invited uh, by uh, the college to attend a, 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 secular, a secularist uh, speaking against the resurrection. And so he did. He went, and the auditorium was filled with college students. And the man packed his, uh, took his lunch, his wife had packed for him. And he went over uh, to this auditorium just down the street from his church, sat in the back quietly while this man tried to dismantle the resurrection piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. When it was all said and done, the brilliant and arrogant man looked out to the crowd, asked for questions. Very few people asked questions. When things got a little bit quiet, finally the old preacher raised his hand from the back. And the man acknowledged the preacher. I had no idea who he was. And the preacher, when he was acknowledged, he looked back at the man on the podium. And he pulled out a big old shiny green apple from his bag. And before asking a question, he bit off a huge bite of the apple and started chewing it. When he could finally get words out of his mouth without being too rude, he looked at the man who had just spoken and said these words, How does this apple taste? Amen. And the guy said, Well, 
that's ridiculous. How in the world could I know how this apple tastes? I'm not the one eating the apple. And he looked right back at the man and said, well, that's exactly why you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ either. You don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you haven't tasted the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friend, I'm here to tell you, there's 100 plus, 150 plus people, adults in this room right now that would look at anybody that's got a question and say, do you believe he's alive? And they're going to say with a resounding positive response, yes, we believe that Jesus is alive from the dead. I don't have to go to an empty tomb. I can go to a date where he resurrected my dead soul from the grave and gave me brand new life and hope for eternity. I know Jesus is alive this morning. The ascension helped us see that. Number two, the ascension was the ultimate demonstration of his deity. It was the ultimate demonstration of his deity. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record an answer that Jesus gives to Pontius Pilate when Pontius Pilate asked him if he was God. So in Mark chapter 14, verse 61 and 62, let me summarize Jesus' answer. Jesus remained silent and made no answer again. The high priest said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus answered and said these words, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of glory. Yes, I am God, and here's how you'll know I'm God. You'll know I'm God because there's coming a day very soon, about 40 days from right now, I'm going to be lifted up off of this earth, and I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God. And then one day, I'm going to come back, and everybody's going to know that I am who I said I am. He's God. The ascension demonstrates to the world that he is God. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 that the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe works in us of his great might. The same might which he worked in Christ. Watch this. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority, above power and dominion, and above every, y'all ain't hearing me this morning, above every name that is named not only in this age, but in the age to come. The ascension put Jesus in display above all powers, all authorities, all people for all ages. He's God. 1 Peter 3.22, he has gone into heaven and has sat down at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subject to him. And then Philippians 2 tells us, therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things under the earth, and things in the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A friend, listen, we are here today to remind everybody who dons the doors of this church, there is only one Savior, and it's Jesus Christ. There's only one Lord, and it's Jesus Christ. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. There's only one truth, and it's Jesus Christ. Look, I know we live in a pluralistic world that is as confused uh, as a woodpecker in a petrified forest, okay? They do not know the difference between right and wrong, left and right. They can't figure out the right from wrong, truth from error. But I'm here to tell you, at 6801 Merrill Road, every single single Sunday, you're going to hear something about Jesus Christ being the Lord and Savior of the world. Not an option, not a way among the ways, not a possibility among truths, the way, the truth, the life. He is God. He is God. I can't remember which president it was, but they invited a, a, a preacher 
and maybe it was a Senate race, I can't remember the exact term, sadly it was in Florida, and maybe it was just uh, an inauguration of a speech, I can't exactly remember, but this president told this pastor from Florida that he had to come, and he could pray at this event, whatever it was, give this invocation, but he could not name the name of Jesus Christ because it was so controversial, <clears throat> and so the pastor listened to the politician and got up and prayed some flowery prayer, never mentioned the name of Jesus. When he got done, he was asked about uh, this. He was asked, <clears throat> well, uh, you know, how did you feel or whatever? Why did you do it? And, and the pastor responded and said, well, <clears throat> you know, the name of Jesus is so controversial today. And so in the public forum, we just have to find a way to work around it. Church, listen, <clears throat> don't apologize for me. Don't feel bad for me. <clears throat> there will never be a day at River City Baptist Church where this preacher works around the name of Jesus Christ. You don't have to like it. You don't have to love him. You don't have to follow him. But, friend, that's what you're going to get here 24-7 every Sunday is about Jesus. High and lifted up. We're not here to work around the name of Jesus, church. We are here to lift high the lovely and precious name of the Son of God because he is the only one worthy of following. The ascension was the ultimate demonstration of his deity. Number three, the ascension was the climactic anticipation of his coming. The climactic anticipation of his coming. I mean, look, look back at the verses here. What do they say? The men are so caught up in what they've just seen, which I'm sure we would have been too. In verse 10, it says they were stuck. They were frozen, looking steadfastly toward heaven. And then the angels said to them, why are you standing here gazing into heaven? Implying it's time to move on. You've already been commissioned You've already told what's going to happen next. <clears throat> it's time to move on. We're not to be frozen, gazing, staring at something that's already happened. What he's saying is this picture of him ascending to heaven. Watch it. It says this. This same Jesus, the same one who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner. So, so folks, here's what's going to happen. The same way that Jesus literally and physically ascended into heaven to take his rightful spot as the Son of God, at the throne of God, at the right hand of God, listen very carefully, in the same manner, the same way, the same person physically and literally is going to step out of heaven one day and he is going to descend back down to the same place from which he ascended. Now, you can read about this Later in the book of Revelation, I'm not here to dice up the difference between uh, the, uh, 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 what's called the rapture of the church and the second coming. Folks, I believe all of it, but let me be clear about one thing. He is coming back, okay? And he is going to step out of heaven one day, and he is going to descend, and his foot is going to hit the Mount of Olives, and everybody who stood against him, and everybody who has tried to cast out his church and destroy his name is going to stand and meet him in judgment. He is coming again. And it is supposed to have a profound effect upon your life. You know, i got to be honest with you. I think there's too many Christians that are stuck gazing. And you're a loiterer. There's some spiritual loiterers in the room. You ever get nervous about a loiterer? See one in your neighborhood and you're like, what are you, what's going on here? You know, quite frankly, the Christian that doesn't serve, doesn't give, doesn't get involved, doesn't pray, doesn't read the Bible, the rest of the church should be looking at him going, 
What's the problem here? What's the problem here? They were loitering. He says, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wait, hey, hey, wake up, wake up. He's coming back. That's the message of the Bible. Wake up, he's coming back. I don't, look, I know we've got some seminary trained people in the room, and I thank God for all your seminary, and I've got a little bit of that too under my belt. But let me just tell you something about seminary, and let me tell you something about theology. Friend, if it causes you to ignore what is very obvious in the Bible, then maybe you need to get re-seminary. Let me tell you about seminary. Seminary should teach you this. Jesus is coming again. And it's coming is what we call imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment, at any Anytime at the at the last trumpet, Christ will come again, and the urgency of Scripture is this: be ready. Look, we can spend our time debating if you want to. I'd rather spend my time preparing for it. And yes, I understand within the church there's room for a little bit of differences, but there's not room for this to be different. We should be living like Jesus Christ is returning, and it could be today. Heard a story of a a handicapped children's home in Kentucky that was funded by Christians, uh, staffed by Christians. These were kids who <clears throat> obviously had mental and physical handicaps. This was their home. This is where they went to school. <clears throat> their parents could otherwise not um, care for them. And so it was kind of like a boarding school, but they sent them there. And they were in a loving environment. And these precious teachers, day in and day out, taught these kids about Jesus and taught these kids about, about his doctrine and who he was. And and, and, and they, they, they emphasized the second coming. And, 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 and the word on the street was this, that they could not keep the window sills clean. Because the kids hunkered at the bottom of the window, constantly staring in the sky, believing that what their teacher said was going to happen. And it could happen today. Would to God he would shake us up this morning and believe that in sometimes the complacent gazing on whatever we're gazing on day in and day out in the church in America distracted by everything in the world other than Jesus that he would remind us freshly today he's coming again which leads me to the final thing and that is this the ascension of Jesus Christ is fourthly and finally the glorious inauguration of his ongoing ministry now, folks, I told you at the beginning of this message, I could spend the next several weeks, really, I could spend the next several lifetimes telling you that Jesus is alive and he's not just passively alive. Folks, he went to heaven to sit on a throne to be there forever. And on that throne, he is actively ministering to the church. Let me give you four things Jesus is doing right now that I think we should all have a little shout about. Number one, Jesus is praying for you. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one that died. More than that, he was raised. He is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. Man, I got good news for you, friend. Jesus is praying for you. You got a prayer request? Good. He already knows it, and he's already beat you to the punch. Always. 
always praying for his people. Your name is on Jesus' prayer list, and you should leave a little bit more excited today than you did when you came in and say, good night, I don't know what's coming today, but I know this, he's already praying about it, he already knows about it, he's already stepping up for me there, and when I am mumbling and struggling, I can't even speak because I don't know what to say because I'm brokenhearted, he speaks with groanings that cannot be uttered. Folks, we have an advocate, number two, we have an advocate at the throne for us. What does that mean? Watch this. When you sin, he is forgiving. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, this is beautiful truth, folks. You know what that means? It means that literally in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus is your defense attorney. According to the book of Job, Satan likes to prowl around and accuse even the best Christians in the world. And you want to know what's the thing about Satan when he says stuff about you before God? Did you know that? Did you know you have an evil one, Satan, who accuses you before God? And you want to know what is so sad about those accusations? See, the thing about accusations on this earth, oftentimes they're not even true. You ever notice that? There's been all this, all this political garbage all the, within a certain convention of, of a Christian belief. And they're just accusing every other person that breathes of sexual assault. And I'm against sexual assault every shape, form, and fashion. We should all be against it, absolutely. But then recently, just in the past week, one of the persons who was so vehemently uh, uh, attacked was exonerated. After everybody had to open their mouth, take their names off of buildings, you know, guilty until proven innocent. I'm glad to tell you something. I'm thankful that every accusation that everybody's ever thrown at me isn't always true. But let me tell you something about this. When Satan accuses you before God, here's the thing. It is true. And you probably did say that, and you probably did do that, and you probably shouldn't have done that. And he just laughs all the way to the throne and says, I got him now. That rascal, he's not worth 15 cents spiritually. And when he steps up into the throne and says, yeah, hey, let me tell you something. I know that Dan Sprankle guy, he's good for nothing. He did this, he said this. I Look, I know that clown John False, I'm telling you. I, I saw him, I heard him. Okay, I know that Kendall Yarbrough, I saw what he did, saw what he said. I know his kids, I know what they do. And he just comes hurling and laughing into heaven with every bit of ammo against you and says, you know what, I got him. God's going to turn on him right now. And so he's going to get in front of the throne and he's going to start hurling accusations at you. And just all just see it. Just stop for a minute and just see Jesus just stick his arm out and go, hey, wait a second, pal. Wait just a second here. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Jesus Christ. I happen to be that which represents the defendant that you're trying to accuse. Yes, you're exactly right. Yes, he's done a, yeah, yes, he's done a lot of wrong. And yes, he's sinned. And yes, he never stops it, in fact. But I'm here to tell you, I went to Calvary for that. See these hands. See these wounds. See this side. See that blood at the altar. That was shed for him. He's forgiven. That's your advocate. He's there. Y'all ain't even hearing me this morning. He is there advocating for you. Number three, he is there moving his spirit amongst us. 
The Bible says in Acts 2, 32, that Jesus, God, that this Jesus, God raised up, and we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What did Jesus do when he got to the throne? He poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. He said he was going to. In John 14, John 15, and John 16, he said, look, I'm out of here, but there's another one coming. And then you know what he even told his disciples? Listen to this. He told his disciples, you're actually going to do greater works than these. You guys are impressed by this? You just wait till I send my power and authority through the Holy Spirit to deputize every disciple, every pastor, every believer who's going to go throughout this earth for 2,000 years on every continent and every country. And he's going to preach the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see an entire world shaken up for the gospel. And you can say whatever you want to say about how, how bad this world is. I've got good news for you, friend. Jesus is still on the throne. And Jesus is still working through his church. And Jesus is still transforming lives. Last I checked as recently... As this morning. But finally, what is Jesus doing right now? Waiting for us. In John chapter 14, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What's he doing right now? Waiting for you. And by the way, let me say this to anybody in this room who is not a Christian. Please listen carefully. And by the way, I use that term. It's almost impossible to use that term because everybody in Jacksonville thinks they're a Christian. So let me be very clear about what I mean by that. I mean you, you, yourself, have repented of your sins and you have accepted Jesus Christ as the only possible way of heaven. Just like being born, it happened in an instant, in a moment when you got born again. You may not know the date, you may not know the time, but there was a time when you bowed your head and your heart and humbly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Turned away from your religion, turned away from your works and said it's only Jesus, nothing else. I'm not talking about getting baptized. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about praying prayers. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about giving money. I'm talking about you and God one-on-one in a meeting where you said yes to Jesus and no to sin and no to religion and you asked him and accepted him to be your Lord. You either have or you haven't. You either is or you ain't. You're either in or you're out. Let me tell you why Jesus hasn't come yet. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. Some people consider the, the delaying of the coming of Jesus as slackness. Meaning, he's not coming. He, I mean, he said he was going to come, but he's not coming. But then first Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You want me to tell you what Jesus is waiting for? You. He loves you that much, friend, that he is willing right now to literally wait on you to come to him. Right now. I mean, with, with arms stretched out. Can you just imagine? Oh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but I can almost imagine every time a preacher stands up to preach, which is literally probably every waking second of every day on every continent, world without end. Can you just see Jesus, when the preacher begins to preach, scoot up on the edge of his seat and start looking going, yes, yes, come on. 
You think I want you to come? Think of how much more the one who died for you and rose again wants you to come. He's waiting for you. What is the ascension? The ascension was the moment where our precious Savior returned back to heaven. It was prophesied in Psalm 24, verse 7, as a picture of heaven welcoming its Savior and its King back. Where the Bible says in verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. And let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Friend, I want you to see Jesus step right up into heaven amidst the cheers of all the saints and all the angels of heaven. And eternity pass and watch them welcome their hero back like the hero that he is. See the Son of God strut through heaven with scars in his hands, in his sides, and on his brow, and see him walk through the streets of gold right up to the throne where he deserves to be, and see him amidst the cheers of all of heaven set down at the right hand of God, and one final time see the Father lift his head up and say to all of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is where Jesus is. Right Let's pray. The one thing I want to emphasize at the end of this sermon is Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for you. He wants you to be saved today. He wants you to open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life. He wants you to do that right now. Right here, right now. He wants you to call upon his name for salvation. That's what he tells you to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Today, friend, he's waiting for you. He wants you to be saved right now. I'm asking you if you would accept him. Would you accept him? Say, preacher, how do I accept him? You accept him by calling on his name, by believing on him. And you can do that right now, right here, right from your seat. I'm going to form a prayer out loud. And I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, right here, right now. I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer in your heart or out loud to God by faith, accepting Him. And here's the prayer. I invite you to pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot get to heaven on my own. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and he rose again. And I believe he's the only way to heaven. Today, I accept Jesus as my savior. 
Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Right now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want to know, is there somebody here in the room, right here, right now, somebody here? You say, preacher, I want you to know I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. Thank God for it. I'm glad to know that Jesus forgives me. I'm glad to know that he saves me. I'm not ashamed of him. Today, preacher, I just accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that I'm not ashamed of it, preacher. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Would you do that? Praise God. Praise God. Amen to that. Who else? Just raise your hand up. Preacher, that's me. That's me. I just prayed and accepted Jesus as my Savior. So glad I did. So glad I did. Anybody else like that? God be praised. God be praised. Let's all stand to our feet if you would. I don't know. I just feel led to have an invitation today. I couldn't help but in that song that we sang, Make Room, we sung it all month. I keep thinking to myself, man, boy, so many of us can get so distracted. We don't even have room. Maybe in this message, your phone was dinging, things were going on, and you just, like you, you're missing the moment. You're missing the moment. You, you struggle to even come maybe to church and even find this kind of excitement and joy. And resolve because you're just, it's like I can't fit anything else in. This doesn't move me nearly as much as, yeah, whatever. Whatever you got room for. Whatever you got room for. A friend, I want to tell you this. You better make room for Jesus. The church is filled with innkeepers saying there's no room. And I'm just calling us today. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is high and lifted up. He's on the throne. No question. Look, you can't make him not on the throne. That's where he is. But here's what you can do. You can make him not the throne of your heart. He can go on as king of kings and lord of lords and you can live as if that's not even true. So church, let's just refocus. Julie's playing beautifully on the piano. I just want to encourage you, church, let's come. God's speaking to you. Let's come and pray. I want a few of our ladies to pray is Darlene still here? I see her. She leave? Okay. If she comes back in, we'll pray for her. She's had some issues with her eyes. Brother Greg, where's Brother Greg? I want some of our men to pray with Brother Greg about his upcoming heart issues and challenges. He's right back here, seated on that fourth or fifth row. Maybe you got a prayer request. I don't know. Look, I want to make room. I want to make room. If you got a burden on your heart, you come. You say, I want, something. I want to pray about something. You just come. We'll pray with you, man. Let's go. Let's pray. Let's come and say, God, I got room. I got room for you. I'm going to pray. If our prayer team is here, just find somebody that's here. Pray with them. Come on. Let's do that. God's speaking to you. There's a burden. If any of our prayer team can go ahead and head to the altar, we got some people that could be prayed for. If anybody can do that, that'd be great. <clears throat> that would be awesome.